as well as the youth group and speaking with the kids about missions and what's happening in the North Manila Cemetery, just reaching the kids and the feeding ministry and education, stuff like that. So just be in prayer for them as well. And so without further ado, I just want to open up a word of prayer, and then we will turn it over to the video. And then, Brother John, let us pray. God, I thank you for this evening. And Lord, we just thank you for family and the fact that it doesn't matter the distance, the location, how far we're separated from each other, that under the blood of Christ, we're all together unified together as one family. So I thank you for our family, uh, John and, and Tim, being able to spend time with us this weekend. So I pray you just bless them, bless their individual ministries and the things you're working there for your kingdom. And Lord, as we go through tonight, pray for the kids' ministries, the teens, as well as us to just uh, have some soul focus and attention on the heartbeat of missions. We thank you for global missions and the DNA here at Open Door Baptist Church. So we pray, Lord, that uh, we can glean a burden, a desire, education, and equipping to go ahead and serve you throughout the world. So we thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In 2001, God burdened my heart for missionaries who are taking the gospel to the unreached. God did not burden me for a particular country or people, but to help missionaries and nationals reach the lost through church planting and evangelism. And since its inception, the Carpenters Project has assisted church planters in the Americas, Africa, and Asia. Recently, God answered our prayers for help and led missionary Riley Fitzsimmons to join the ministry. For 32 years, my wife, Kathy, and I were missionaries to Haiti. During that time, God richly blessed our ministry. Now, due to Kathy's health, we are no longer able to live in Haiti. But God has provided the opportunity for us to continue to minister to the Haitian people and to others around the world through the Carpenters Project. Paul instructed Timothy to teach faithful men the truths he had received so that they would be able to teach others also. We believe that the key to establishing local indigenous New Testament churches is training nationals for the ministry. Equipped with sound doctrine, they can go under the authority of their local church to plant churches where the Lord leads them. The Carpenters Project partners with American missionaries and indigenous local pastors who are training nationals to go forth and establish Bible-believing churches through evangelism, discipleship, and teaching those called to the ministry to go and do the same. Through partnerships with indigenous Bible institutes, the Carpenters Project assists graduates who are called to a church planting ministry. The Timothy Project provides temporary financial support to national pastors who are starting a church in a small town or rural area. Although the national may be from the same country and often a familiar ethnic group, they are considered outsiders and need time to gain the acceptance of the people. The Carpenters Project has partnered in several dozen church plants in the Caribbean, East and West Africa, and Asia. We believe it is still the mission of the church to preach the gospel to every creature. Therefore, we assist pastors and their churches in their evangelistic outreaches. We sponsor open-air evangelistic services as churches reach into unevangelized areas. Teams of church workers travel to these areas and stay for several days to share the gospel with those who have never heard. These meetings are often accompanied with teaching and activities during the daytime, especially for children and young people. We also work with nationals in several countries to reach lost souls by providing equipment for a film ministry. Films that give a clear presentation of the message of salvation through Christ are held both indoors and outdoors to many who otherwise might never hear. It is so important that national workers have gospel literature to distribute as they endeavor to reach lost souls. We help provide these servants with Bibles, New Testaments, John Romans, and gospel tracts for their evangelistic outreaches. We regularly visit these fields to spend time with the pastors and see their ministries. While there, we hold Bible conferences and teaching seminars, as well as revival and evangelistic services. The Carpenters Project has worked in more than a dozen countries and participated in the construction or renovation of more than 80 buildings. 
Having a permanent place of worship is critical for the growth and stability of a new church. For many church planters in undeveloped areas, it's a daunting task. Once a church obtains land, designs a suitable building, and recruits volunteers to provide some or all of the labor, the Carpenters Project helps by providing funds for the purchase of the building materials. Churches have asked us to help with buildings, small and large, made with brick, block, or wood, and built on flat land, hillsides, and mountains. When Jesus saw the multitudes, his heart was moved with compassion for them. He said to his disciples that the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. So he told them what must be done. We must pray for the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers into his harvest. The Carpenters Project exists to train nationals for the ministry and then assist them in establishing churches to reach lost souls disciple converts, and train these disciples to do the same. When you pray and give to the Carpenters Project, you are helping to send laborers into the harvest. Well, you can see what we're trying to do is train men to go to the field, to help them get to the field, and then equip them in the field. What we want to see them do is to bring people to Christ and help them grow in Christ. Now, I don't know if you read our newsletters very much, but when you uh, read them, you say, boy, we're traveling all over the world and visiting Bible colleges. And I'd say that three-fourths of our travel time is taken up in ministering at the Bible colleges where men are being prepared for the ministry. We are finding that most Bible colleges overseas really lack adequate uh, buildings, classrooms, dormitories, things of that type. So we've been involved of the last five years really helping them get some really good facilities to help attract and draw good applicants in to, to train them for the field. But while we're there, what we do is we get to know the students, hear their call, their burden for serving in, uh, the Lord in ministry, and develop that rapport even before graduation. Once they graduate, if they've chosen to go to an area where they're going to be um, planting a church in a, in a village that has no church, uh, that's when we get step in with the Timothy Project. And uh, some of the statistics in this video are a little outdated. Um, we've been in 22 nations now. We deal with Bible colleges all over the world, eight just in Asia and Africa. Uh, but we also have some that we're dealing with in South America as well as the Caribbean. But um, I want to tonight kind of show you some things that we've been doing recently that kind of dovetail to the video. And uh, let's see if we can begin with uh, India. And there we go. I don't know how I'm going to reach this, but we'll try. India is uh, now the largest nation uh, in the world. They surpassed China earlier this year. And there is one Bible college in India that I've known for many years, been friends with the men who operate it, that I visited just recently. And this particular uh, Bible college is a Berean Baptist Bible College in Bangalore. And I don't know, there we go. Uh, Bangalore is in the south central part of the country. It's, it's uh, one of the major metropolitan areas uh, of the south. And uh, most of the work that we've been doing, though, with the Bible colleges in India, we're up in the northwest, and you don't see any major cities. It, there's no dots in the north, or excuse me, the northeast of India. That's a mountainous area, but that is where most of the Christians in, uh, in India live. Uh, some, in some places, they're 25 to 35 percent of the uh, population are uh, some form of Christianity. So many of those people from the, uh, the Northeast 
will travel all the way down to the south and go to this Bible college that I visited. And uh, we've been helping uh, both the ones in the northeast and also this school uh, here. This is Berean Baptist Bible College, Dr. Edmund Chelly, who is uh, actually a graduate of Bob Jones University. Now, Dr. Chelly is uh, rather old. He's now about 60 years old. But uh, he's been in, uh, president of the school for, for that long. And um, you can see the facility is pretty nice. He's uh, spent many years trying to develop it. Actually, the, the college was started by his father. And brother, I'm having trouble finding the spot. You'll do it? Okay, let's do that. That'll work better. I'll just put this down. So if you go to the next slide, well, this slide here, this is the, the classroom and dining hall. Um, you don't normally see this kind of facility in a foreign Bible college. They are really a first-class school. Academics are top-notch. And of all the colleges that I've visited uh, overseas, this is, to me, the premier uh, teaching institution. Um, on the next slide, you can see that you know, the graduates were there. I was uh, in the, uh, participated in their next graduation, or last one. And in the next slide, you can see the uh, graduating class. I'm sitting in the front uh, right. All of the visitors were there uh, along with me there. But um, these men, most of these men, are going to go into countries like Myanmar, Bangladesh, Nepal, Bhutan, as well as across uh, India. This college is now 57 or 8 years old or young, and alumni from this school have planted over 10,000 churches across Asia and even into Africa. All the work that we've been doing in Myanmar pretty much is under the influence of the graduates that came out of this school. It's, it's been just a, a tremendous influence in the spread of the gospel across Asia. They are continuing to do a great job, but I wanted to show this to you tonight uh, because this is kind of like the, um, the parent college and the pattern of all the other colleges that we've been dealing with. In the next slide, um, we'll go there to Myanmar and the next country over to the east. And I visited there just before the coup, and you can go to the next slide. Myanmar, as you can see, India is to the west, and China to the east, and then you've got Laos and Thailand that uh, border on the, on the southern half of the, of the eastern side. Myanmar has about 55, 57 million people. It's a Buddhist country. Next slide, please. And um, this is the, the level of the average person outside the major cities living in, um, those are actually bamboo uh, strips that they weave together. And the next slide, you see another similar um, structure. This is the way they, they all live in the suburban area because it's an agricultural country. They're, they're out there doing manual labor in the fields. Most of them are raising rice and uh, other, maybe even corn. And uh, then in the next slide, um, this is in the capital, the old capital of Yangon. The country is 92% Buddhist, and this is one of the um, most sacred places for all Buddhists in the world. It's, if I can use the analogy, it's kind of like a Mecca uh, that the Muslims have. Uh, this is the Shwedagon Pagoda. Now, unlike the, the Muslims, the Buddhists aren't forced to come here, but this is where they all voluntarily come to and visit at least once in their lifetime. And um, that has uh, got a solid gold dome, and there's all kinds of rubies and things which are natural to, to Myanmar, you know, just kind of embedded in the dome. Tremendous opulence in all of this, and people were living, as you see, in, in pretty much squalor. And then in the next slide, um, you can see the, the uh, what do you call it, the... Um, promenade or, or whatever, the plaza. And there are just hundreds of Buddhist um, statues, and people are going to various statues. There's a statue for those who are born um, on Mondays, and a different statue for those who are born on Tuesdays, different things of that type. And they go and they pray to that particular Buddha for their needs. Um, 
it's really kind of sad to see them do that. And if you go to the next slide, um, this is the opposite of it. This is the one of the churches that I was in. It's the country is four percent Christian, and um, they uh, all of these people came out of Buddhism. All of these people that you see at one time were idol worshippers, thinking that you know um, heaven could only be achieved through good works and uh, special um, services done to the church, or not to our church, but to the, the Buddhist t- temples. Then in the next slide, um, this is a, a ladies' Sunday school class in one of the churches. What, one reason I wanted to show this is it's typical the Christian churches are simply constructed you know, a lot you can see air through the walls it's a tropical country so <laughs> in a way that might be good if you know what I mean but um, very very informal in the next slide you see the children's classes what's interesting is you will see in, in the church services the children sitting on one side in a corner and then the, the women behind them and then the men are over on the other side uh, families are split up uh, when they when they uh, are in the service, so it, it, sometimes it's hard to match, mix and match. You know those the folks there. In the next slide, um, in May of this year, there was a, a like a Cat Five hurricane. They call typhoons that struck in uh, the southwest of the country, where we have eight missionaries that we support. And it was very destructive, as you can see from the earlier slides, how simple the structures are when, when a 100 to 125 mile an hour you know, storm comes barreling through. Not much is left. And the government does not help them because right now, in particular, they're in a civil war. And uh, they have no love, uh, really, for the civilians. They only care about themselves, the leaders, that is. In the next slide, you can see um, a demonstrator right after the coup in February of 2021. Uh, the general um, decided, actually the week after President Biden was inaugurated, um, this general overthrew the government. They, at the same time Biden had been elected, the people of Myanmar had free elections and they elected all the uh, civilians that were, can I say, democratic. And, and all of the military candidates that were, you know, opposing them, they all lost. Well, that made the, the general and the military upset because they're losing the control and power that they want in the government. They wanted the facade of democracy, but the, the military really wanted to control everything. So they went and on February 20, of 21, they arrested all of the previous and um, officers-elect, uh, officials-elect, put them all in prison, held kangaroo courts. Many of them got 10-year sentences. Many of the big guys got 20- and 30-year sentences for really doing nothing uh, except winning the election. And right now they remain in a civil war. Um, there was just widespread opposition. The people revolted across the country. And um, not in this photo, but at, at this time, there was a crowd of over a million people in the streets demonstrating against the coup. It was so unpopular. So the only way the, the general can maintain control is to just try to break the will of the people. And that's what he's been doing for the last uh, two years. In the next slide, you can see what he's been doing. He's going to these villages that were in the countryside because the people are civilians, they're non-combatants, they're not demonstrating, but they're trying to, to set examples. And they'll just do like a Sherman's march to the sea, just burn everything in, in their path. They'll kill anyone they see, they'll just shoot them at random. And so people, when they hear the military coming, they run out of town and go hide in the forest. Um, if you're elderly, in a wheelchair or just unable to run and you remain behind and they see you, all they're going to do is, is either burn you up inside the building that they set fire or shoot you uh, point blank. They, that, they're so cruel and callous uh, about that. 
And it, all it is doing is it is um, strengthening the resolve of the resistance. And they're not making any progress. And right now, there's a Bible college in central um, Myanmar we do a lot of work with. We've probably invested $300,000 in buildings over the last seven, eight years with them. And they're still holding classes. They have almost 100 students. And with uh, jets flying over their city, dropping bombs, with troops going through their city and uh, arresting and shooting people, they're still holding classes. And I get uh, texts from them at least once a week. Pray for us. They're, the army is in the next street, or the, their uh, helicopters are flying over, helicopter gunships flying over. It's just it's amazing how they're just kind of adapting to the war that's going on around them. In the next slide, you can see further destruction, and they're very indiscriminate. And then in the next slide... Um, 24,000 homes so far have been destroyed in just the central part of the country. And the, and the country is broken up into about eight different states. And generally it's by ethnicities. Uh, you know, one state is primarily this ethnic group and another state is an, another ethnic group. And in, in the one state where this Bible college is, 800,000 people have been um, can I say, left homeless. They're refugees within their own country. They've gone to the forest. They come back from the forest when the military's gone. And everything they had ever done and built and, and saved is gone. It's been burned up. And uh, they had very little to start with, but um, they, they're doing the best they can. Next slide. Oh, we have sent food over there. This is a photograph. To the, to the churches. Our ministry over the years has helped to build about 50 buildings, church buildings. And uh, through this one particular Bible college, there's about 25 that we've been dealing with. So through that college, what we did is sent money for them to buy rice. Now, before the coup, a 20-kilo bag of rice, 20 kilos is 44 pounds, thereabouts, 45 pounds. It would cost about $12. And today, that same bag costs $52. So we worry about inflation, but they, they are experiencing inflation in the face of war. And so people are really uh, struggling there at all. Next slide. And you can see that they, they've come to the church. We're dealing through the churches. We're helping not just the Christians, but some of the other villagers near the churches and um, it's been a big help because it's kind of softened the hearts of some of the Buddhist neighbors that the Christians are willing to help even in a, a time of uh, struggle when they were not really very friendly to the Christians before the coup occurred. Next slide. And you can see again, the lady on the left has got it's kind of like facial paint or actually it's a mud pack that they put as des design on their face. And that is um, both for cosmetic reasons. They think they look more attractive. But it's also to help. It's kind of like a sunblock or sunscreen. Helps them that way. In the next slide, this is a church we just built, um, finished it at the beginning of the year. This is in the mountainous region in Falam. Falam has been a center of a lot of fighting. Um, we started building this church before fighting came to the city. And as soon as we got it done, fighting surrounded the city. And so far, nothing's happened to the building. But this is a, one of the nicer ones. And uh, the next slide should show us the interior. And uh, they're very proud of it. They did half the building before the coup. And when the coup hit, they had no way to finish or complete it. So they had done all the foundations and everything. What we did is we took it from the ground floor or the floor of the auditorium up and finished the rest of it. So it was a, really it's a solid building. This is one of the best churches of the mountainous region in the West. In the next slide, this is another one that we did. This is in the new capital. This is in the shadow of the general's compound in the capital. That is the one place in the country there's not a lot of fighting because that's where all the military's 
concentrated. So resistance there is either non-existent or they're very quiet about it. And uh, so we built this church uh, for this congregation from one of our Timothy Project pastors that had gone there about three years ago. He's got about 70 people. And uh, so we helped him with that. This is Little Flock Baptist Church is what they named. And in the next slide, this is another one. Uh, A classmate of his went to the other side of the capital city at the same time, and he uh, grew uh, a congregation pretty much in a similar way, and we helped him. This is Grace Baptist Church. And what's, to me, so exciting was when they first went, they couldn't find any place to worship as a group because it's a solid Buddhist area. They would rent, uh, you know, like a little apartment where they would live and then hold Bible studies uh, when they first began. And as soon as the landlord heard that they were holding Christian services, they would kick them out. And they would move and go to another place, and it would all over again. they get kicked out once discovered. And this had been going on. So these two churches have each probably changed locations half dozen times uh, over the just a two, three-year period that they were there. So this is a very important thing. Uh, They saved, and the Bible college we deal with saved with them, and and they bought the property. When we put a building up, we we don't buy the land. We let the the Christians there uh, purchase the land, get ownership of the land, and then we help them with materials. And normally speaking, uh, the... I'd say the congregation helps with between a quarter and a half of the total labor that goes into the building. And what we do, though, is we budget the full labor cost. And any labor that they contribute, we allow them to just take a a small wage for their time to do it. Because work is so difficult for them to get, it kind of helps them put a little food on the table while they're doing it. But they they become invested in the building that they're helping to put up. And we don't want them to think, well, that's an American-built building. We want them to have some sweat equity in it as well. In the next slide, uh, well, I guess that's done with Myanmar. And let me just say that please pray for that country. Um, It's probably worse days are ahead. As long as we have a, uh, an administration that really is weak in all foreign relations around the world, they have no hope of getting help from the outside. The UN says that they should come, somebody should come in, but they won't. Uh, Asian, which is a, a kind of like a mini UN of the Asian nations, they think that the people should have some voice and, and have a chance to have a democratic country. But all they do is talk. And Russia and China and Singapore are supplying the military there with all the cost of war. These fellows literally started with slingshots and homemade guns. They don't have the right to bear arms. So they had to have homemade weapons to fight the military. And gradually these militias would overcome a small military unit Uh, When they uh, took out the enemy, they would take the weaponry. And that's how most of their weapons uh, have been procured, is through the the military um, casualties that they raid. Okay, we're going to go now to Ethiopia. And now we're starting to get into something you might be more familiar with. We'll talk a little bit about Burhanu and uh, his ministry. I was there in, in January. Ethiopia there in East Africa. You remember Burhanu. The country, this is not like a political map. This is an ethnic map of where the major tribes are. And um, there's a little tiny dot, and I don't know if I can show. This is the Addis capital. Let's see, that's not showing up. Anyway, in the, in the medium green in the center, you see that little light green circle just like a little period. That's where the capital city is, Addis Ababa. And that is uh, kind of a, a mixture of all of the ethnicities. And it's right in the middle of Aromia. And uh, the news had the war going on in the far north in Tigray, in that very light green at the top. But since then, we've had some problems between the Amhara people, uh, which is the medium green, and the darker green, the Aromia people. 
and uh, there's a lot of problems going on, and some of our churches have been affected by the ethnic uh, violence there. Burhanu has been uh, accosted and beaten, and um, his uh, van was kidnapped. They kidnapped him. They, he was riding on the road one day. They had a roadblock, sudden roadblock that they came upon, and they kicked him out of the van and took the van so that they could drive it away and and see what they could steal out of it, suitcases and other things of their travel. So he's had some problems himself traveling in the country. And he travels from the far south, mostly to the far west of the country. In the next slide, um, I find the, the East African people very beautiful people. Um, they're just, and they're so friendly. Uh, in the in the uh, villages, and the, ne- the next slide, the kids are just amazing. There, it, it's hard to resist them when they start coming up to you. And then in the next slide, uh, this is a typical home. This is upper middle class in central Ethiopia. It's in a it's in a more green area of the country where the uh, farming is much more um, productive, but. Uh, Inside, this is one big room, dirt floor, and as, if, as you look around the circle, you have a living room, a dining room, a kitchen, and then a bedroom, and then you start looking around, oh, stable. And they bring their cows and goats and put them inside at night because they're, they're worried about theft and animals that might come and, and uh, attack them. So it's like a menagerie at night when they're all in there together. But it's very clean. I was amazed at the cleanliness that they, they keep the interior of the house. But in the next slide, this is not the upper class. This is the lower class. And, of course, they follow similar architecture, but, but these places are very, very dirty. And uh, uh, it, it's a tough lifestyle, but you can tell why it's that way because look you see the acacia trees these are thorny trees it's kind of like from semi-desert areas and there is really very little rainfall and it's a struggle for people to live uh, in this part of the country that's in the south central in the next slide uh, we see some of the churches that we've helped with you may recognize one of them the nicer one the top left is the church that you sponsored for Hashu. And by the way, um, the church in the bottom center is the very first church we built in Ethiopia. That's Gatachu's church. Hashu was saved and grew in the Lord in Hashu's church and went out as an evangelist and church planter from Gatachu. But we've also had some other churches that we've, and this is only just a few, that we built. And what we do is we just let each congregation decide how they want to build, what they want it to look like, how big or how little they want it to be. We don't tell them any of that, thing, that stuff because we don't want to influence them. I will say that the one that you're working on now that's close to being finished is much nicer than even Hashu's church. I was there uh, when I, on my last trip. I was very impressed by the workmanship. And it didn't have windows and doors. That was what the last uh, gift that you made um, or sent was, was used for. Burhanu can't get down there because it's remote um, very often. He comes down and audits what's been done with the money he gives. And I'm expecting him to come back to me in the next week or two and give me a report about how well the, the doors and windows worked on the emplacement. And then uh, we might send them a final little payment to take care of the floors and and ceiling. They were even doing some painting, I believe, uh, with the last gift. But nevertheless, the the churches look different ways, and this is really the meat and heart of Berhanu's ministry. It's the real reason that I go there, and that is he's training men to go out in the field and plant those churches. And here's the thing. He has taken his Bible Institute to six different countries of East uh, Africa, and he never has a, a place, a permanent place to teach them. He's got a 10-course um, curriculum, and if you sat down and you did it from beginning to end in one classroom, 
without stop. It would take you about a year, maybe a little bit over a year to complete. Bear in mind that most of these men don't have more than about an eighth or ninth grade education. So you're not going to get a, a Pensacola Christian College education over there. So to make a long story short, he breaks it up into modules. And it might be a month at a time he goes and, and teaches and then he gives them a break. And then they all come back and they uh, take the next module. And he'll be all over the country and, and even into some of the neighboring countries doing it. But you can see the different settings. The bottom left, there was some uh, being taught in, a, in pews in a, a country church. Um, in the top right, they had an office they uh, um, had at one time that they were using. Um, they'll even rent uh, rooms in a hotel, cheap hotel, uh, for the time if they're able to afford it. And Burhanu had always dreamt of having a, a training center, and that's a dream that's about to come true. It's under construction now, and uh, we'll have more about that uh, in just a minute. Next slide. Uh, this is uh, last January where he was uh, in a hotel, and what he did is a pastor's enrichment conference, and that doesn't even show all the men that are circled. Bahana is standing on the right, and he's going over um, actually Baptist distinctives, what was being taught here in this particular um, session. In the next slide, uh, at the same session, you'll see Rodney and Berhano there at the top. Uh, Rodney was leading a lot of the discussion on the distinctives. And then in the next slide, this is the Bible Training Institute that he had been dreaming about. He had approached me 12 years ago or longer. John, would you help us build something? And I said, well, Berhana, you have ascending church. I said, you need ascending church to get behind this first. And uh, his pastor in ascending church at the time had terminal cancer, so there was no thought of them getting involved in anything. I also told him that he had a mission board, Baptist International Outreach. I said, they need to be on board with it because they can coordinate all of your other supporting churches to get involved in a project. Well, finally, uh, things stabilized, and right around COVID, <coughs> excuse me, the sending church called me, and the pastor said, John, we're about to step out. Uh, how can we work together? And I told him, I said, well, if you find the property, uh, I'll start working on raising money to put something on the property, because that's the pattern that we follow in our church construction. So... Property in Addis Ababa is ridiculous. I took a survey, field survey there a couple years ago. A tenth of an acre on the suburb of Addis Ababa was about $200,000. You cannot put a Bible institute on a tenth of an acre. So I told Berhana, I said, you're going to have to go to the next town and, and look for something more reasonable. Well, he went to... Uh, to a, a town near Bashaftu, 24 to 25 miles outside of Addis. And there was a piece of property that already had a, a concrete slab prepared for an elementary school. And the, the man that was wanting to do it, it's going to be a private school, the man that was wanting to do it decided to just to bail on the project. So it was bare ground. It had already had the block walls around it, so I didn't have to worry about security for the, for the property. And I already had a slab poured. Well, it wasn't the shape that I thought the Bible Institute should be. It was, think of it as shape for a school. And, and uh, so we came up with a design that fit the footprint of that slab. It saved me 100000 maybe 150000 in in cost right there. So we put this together, and um, you can see this is the artist's rendition. In the next slide, um, this is the floor plan that, that we came up with. Um, on the far right, we have a chapel. That it's, it's depicted to have about 65 to 70 chairs. Easily, they could get 100 people in there. And then to the left of the chapel, they have some classrooms, 
and then to, to the left of that are some administrative offices, and then you have a central uh, foyer where uh, people enter from the middle. The left side of the building is for dormitory and uh, kitchen, dining facilities. So this right now is under construction and we plan for it to be done before the end of the year. Uh, as a matter of fact, we're trying to get things arranged to have a dedication service in January, sometime in the first half of January of next year. What is so neat about this is that we saved that hundred to 150000 on the foundation, but the rest of the building still cost a quarter million dollars. <laughs> so this is going to be really not a cheap construction. It's really going to be a nice facility. That, that I'm sure Brahanu and all the, the folks uh, in, in Ethiopia will really like. Um, anyway, that's where we're headed. And right now, we have finished the concrete pouring. They've begun to, to be uh, erecting the concrete block walls. So it's still in the roughing, what I call roof or roofing end stage. And um, it should move pretty quickly once the block is up. In the next slide, uh, I want to shift. And if, by the way, I haven't said are there are any questions, but feel free to just raise your hand if you have any. I want to move to South Sudan, which is where this morning I promised that uh, we would talk about Abraham. In, in this slide coming up, uh, we have Abraham in the top, Burhanu, who uh, really is uh, the coordinator of this. And then it's, this is just the ethnic distribution in South Sudan. Abraham is um, Dinka. And then the new air is the darkest part. And they've been clashing. And that was the source of the war when the country tried to break away from Sudan proper. So he lived on the Blue Nile River, right where there was a, a flashpoint between the two tribes. He had a house church. It was like a mud, round mud hut, like you saw in the Ethiopia slides. And he had about a dozen people in his church. Very small community. They were subsistent farmers. But they saw what was happening, and they knew that they couldn't bear arms either. They couldn't defend themselves. So they decided that they would leave and go to Ethiopia, cross the border to safety. So they followed the, the Blue Nile River, walking, carrying what they could. It took them three months walking from where they were to the UN camp, which is kind of like an Indian reservation. You know, in our thinking, it's more like that. Um, they arrived almost as intact as a church. You know, all of those that were worshiping with him chose, they chose to go together in a, in a pack, and they had to dodge the, uh, the rebels. They would get word about rebels being nearby as they walked, and they would have to take some evasive uh, path to get away from them. So it was rather tense three months for them. In the next slide, uh, this is his family, his wife there in the blue, and his kids. So... so uh, they, uh, they all made it. As far as I know, they're all healthy and everything's strong or good with them. They, this photo was about, this is after they got to the camp. It's probably about an eight-year-old photograph. So the children, I'm sure, are much different now. And in the next slide, this is the way a lot of the people lived as they arrived in the camp. Uh, UN would provide tents. You would provide food and cooking utensils and get them started. They thought when they got there, they were only going to be there for a few months. But this all began in the end of 2012. And they're still in the camp because there's still fighting going on uh, in South Sudan. In the next slide, this is the church that uh, he started after he got settled. You can look in the background, first of all, the, on the hillside. Uh, you can see that's just one encampment, and there's, these are all over, scattered all over a large area. I'm, I don't know how many square miles each of these camps are, but I've been to the west. You probably have, too. You, you can drive through an Indian reservation. You're not sure when you're in it or when you're out. 
but there are clusters of little towns on the reservations in much the same way here. This um, particular church, now let's go to the next slide. You see it, well, I'm sorry, that's first, but this is how they baptize. They find a mud puddle, essentially. But let's go to the next slide. So far, he started two churches that combined about 800 members. He was in South Sudan with just a dozen in his house, and now he's coordinating two church uh, groups, totaling 800. I think the Lord has used him. I think sometimes it's an 828 uh, analogy here, but things worked out for the good, even though it seemed to be so dire when he left his home. He has no hope to go back. The property has long since been lost to others. So there's nothing for him to go back to. This uh, church, um, you can see it's a thatch roof and stick sides. Two months ago, it burned down. Somebody in the village or the camp did not like the church. They, I don't know if they identified the arson but somebody burned, set fire to it in the middle of the night, and it just totally went out. They came to us and said, can you help us rebuild? We said, yes. And we asked for some quotes, and they were astronomical because building materials are way out of sight. I mean, there's nothing there. It's got to be trucked in from central Ethiopia, across bad roads. So Instead, he said, I want to put the same thing up again. But that still cost about $18,000. It's hard to imagine. But it's, remember, it's a building bigger than this for about 700 people in that one building alone. And that's being done now. I don't have any new pictures of it. But these, these are some of the folks uh, after service one day. And uh, he's just doing a tremendous job. Um, Burhanu has that training program. Abraham took it, you know, the 10 courses. Well, he's got no place to go. I mean, they're all captive in this place. So they've been teaching in modules of about a dozen to 20 students uh, these courses. And now he's got about a dozen men who have passed the course that are acting as deacons or assistant pastors to these two churches. And he's just, he's building up a, a team that can go and and take the gospel even further around uh, the uh, the camp. So anyway, we're very proud of what he's been doing, and the Lord has used him in a great way in spite of what's happened in his life. Next slide. And I think that might be it. Yes. First uh, Samuel twelve twenty four says, Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. For consider how great things he hath done for you. I just want to encourage you. Um, you know, I talked this morning about Ezra and um, disappearing. He only had a ministry that lasted uh, maybe two years after he finished Bible school. It's not the length of our ministry. It's the quality. Because God calls us in unique ways. And Ezra, in a two-year period... Uh, influenced a dozen men to go into the ministry and carry on and are now pastoring. He, he replicated himself in a very unusual way. Um, Abraham has been replicating himself in a very unusual way. And we said this morning, individuals can be the cause of persecution. Religion can be the cause of persecution. In Abraham's case, it's government's. And all the, the problems of, of the government corruption and the uh, fighting that's been going on there forced him out of his comfort zone to do something that he had no idea would ever occur. You know, in Jeremiah 33, 3 is a really uh, verse close to my heart where the Lord said, Call unto me, and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Now, I just want to encourage you tonight. God is and will speak to you about something that you might say, well, I don't want to do that, or I can't do that. But he wouldn't 
call you to do it unless he would equip you to do it. And whether you're as old as I or with many years yet to live, it doesn't matter. It's just a matter of following what the Holy Spirit calls you to do and just do it the best you can. You know, I had no idea I would ever be doing missions work. When I retired early, I uh, thought I was going to live the life of Riley, so to speak, play golf, travel, um, help my in-laws as they aged. But God had something else in store, and he spoke to me on a mission trip in Mexico. John, you need to get involved, and you need to help these that need help in the foreign field. And all I can say is I was in my 50s when that happened, and I thought, I'm ready for retirement. But he showed me some great and mighty things step by step. And he'll do it for you. And you just don't know how God will place a key person or a key event in your path that can turn your life in the opposite direction it's going. I just want to encourage you to listen to the Holy Spirit as he speaks to you because we all have been given a unique purpose no one person is more gifted than another because God will equip you for what he has called you to do. He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ. And I just want you as a church and as, as families to focus and commit thy way to, to the Lord, and he will direct your paths. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity just to give a short update on a few of the things that we're doing um, Lord, we are so thankful that all of us in this room have been bound together by the love that we have for your son. And our prayer, Lord, is that all that we do, all that we say, will magnify him in our lives and through us that you may influence others to come to the cross of Christ. We thank you for this church. We pray your blessing upon it. We pray your blessing upon each and every person here tonight. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.